Welcome to Capital Radio by Funds. I'm Liz. And I am Lika. And in this podcast, we demystify the world of private equity and venture capital. As a globally active fund placement agency, every day we meet interesting people from all over the world. We want to share their stories with you. Our guests are experienced investors and fund managers that will tell us what it takes to enter the black box of private equity. Welcome. Our guest today is Nina Freudenberg. She joined Golden Capital Partners in 2021 as a director and is responsible for impact investments. And prior to joining Golden, Nina was a director for Sonans, which is an impact fund of funds, where she was part of building the company since its inception in 2015. And before that, Nina spent time in Bangladesh, where she led consulting projects for Brummer & Partners, which is a local private equity firm. She started her career in 2011 as a management consultant for the Boston Consulting Group in Munich. Welcome, Nina. Hello. Thank you for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, great having you. Thanks for your time, Nina. Let's let's kick off. So as Lika just mentioned in your introduction, we understand you spent some time in Bangladesh. So we wondered if you could tell us more about that and whether it sparked your initial interest and impact in emerging markets. Yes, sure. So in Bangladesh, I worked for the first private equity fund that was set up by the Swedish firm Brahma and Partners. I spent a couple of months there to work in particular with the portfolio companies and did small projects with them. So it was, um, I mean, I, I lived in, in emerging markets before. As a kid, I lived in Burkina Faso for a couple of years. Then when I arrived at Dhaka, it was really um, a totally different experience. I think it's one of the most crowded places on earth. <laughs> Whenever you, you, you are on the street, you see at least a hundred people. It's very noisy and loud and, um, but also very vibrant. And you can see entrepreneurs in every corner. And Bangladesh also has a couple of really cool new companies that became very successful in a, short uh, period of time, for instance, Bcash, um, a mobile money company. So I, I really started to understand that if you are able to develop um, a product, um, mostly coupled to technology, that meets um, a very large local demand for, for the people on the ground, you can be extremely successful as well. So I came back in 2015 to help uh, my colleague Andreas Nielsen to to start Donans and was really fully inspired. <laughs> yeah, great. And impact investing is, of course, often related to really these emerging markets that you were talking about. So Bangladesh, for example. Um, but how would you define impact investing? Because it's more than just emerging markets and being active there. How would you define that? So I'm not going to give you another definition of impact investing. I think there are way too many out there already. But I'd say the difference is that as an impact investor, you really start with a mission. Um, You have a specific social or environmental problem in mind that you'd like to solve with the means that you have as an investor. So for instance... Through Zonlands, we have invested in a fund in India called Omnivore. And Omnivore invests in technologies uh, centered around the, the setting of smallholder farmers. So they saw that the vast majority of our farmers in India are smallholder farmers. That means that they have less than two hectares um, that they cultivate. And they have various challenges in life. They 
they don't have access to to markets so they have difficulties you know selling their products at the right time at the right price and so on they they have difficulties to access good inputs like seeds and so on they they don't have a lot of technology um, that they can use on their fields and they're very vulnerable to to economic or also environmental shocks so the the thesis of Glomni War Fund, for instance, really um, looks at what do do those smallholder farmers need, and what can help them to sort of to live a more resilient life, but also to become more uh, sustainable. And through this thesis, they they do not only help smallholder farmers, but at the same time they they have invested in a couple of companies that are just also commercially extremely successful, and um, because they they meet such a large demand. Absolutely. And, and I think, Nina, you touched on, you know, the idea of having a goal or an investment thesis beyond um, or maybe more traditional investments, which might focus more on, on financial returns. And, and for Omnivore, that was, you know, improving the lives and the accessibility and for the farmers. Can you maybe speak a bit more about how that shapes your investment approach when you're looking at impact investments and, and maybe how this might differ from, you know, say a, a more traditional approach for a more traditional investments? So the new Golding Fund that we are currently working on is really centered around or it really has an environmental focus. We we see two pillars of the strategy. The first one is um, that we believe that if we really want to do something against climate change and reduce resource consumption and emissions and so on, we do need a couple of breakthrough technologies. And we believe that some of them will come from Europe and North America. So through the fund, 50% of the fund will target private equity, growth private equity funds in Europe and North America. And then the other part will focus on emerging markets because at the same time we, we see that it's equally important that emerging markets that are growing and that, that are striving for better living conditions, that they do this in a sustainable way and, um, that they grow more decoupled from resources and emissions, um, and don't necessarily repeat the mistakes that we have done here in, in industrialized economies. And the two themes really, really go hand in hand. Sure. And when you speak more um, about, you know, the 50% into the emerging markets, Nina, the landscape is, is really different. You know, I bet you wouldn't see hundreds of people on the street, you know, in, in Western Europe at one time. I can imagine that might present certain challenges when it comes to really investigating whether you want to make the investment or not. Maybe there isn't so much uh, data available in the markets that you are looking to invest in. Is Do you have to really tailor the metrics that you look at when you are looking at emerging markets compared to that of North America or Europe? Yes, exactly. So when we look at the a fund manager, we can typically not look at a track record of, you know, let's say 20 years, but it's often the strategies that they have developed are fairly new and also the markets are fairly new and just developing now. But having said that, at the same time, there are a growing number of fund managers that are now already raising the second or the third fund. So we, we wouldn't necessarily only focus on first time fund managers, but, but on more, on more experienced fund managers, but still, the track record that you can look at, it's, it's not as long uh, as you, what you would see here in Europe, for instance. So it is, um, I'd say, one thing that is different compared to when you do a due diligence of, let's say, very established private equity buyout manager here in Europe, 
is that we we look much more at the specific strategy and the specific sectors that the strategy is targeting. So the fund managers that we found interesting in the past often have a specific sector focus, so they wouldn't necessarily be a generalist and in um but really have a a focus on a certain theme. So, for instance, when we we have invested in a fund called Karizafi, um, they are based in Nairobi and invest in the off-grid energy space. So, uh, what we did is we really traveled there and uh, spent a lot of time to try to understand, you know, if the off-grid energy space is a good space to be invested in. And um, we looked a lot of the dynamics. So, when I say off-grid energy space, business models that you see quite often in that space are, for instance, solar lanterns or solar home systems that offer enough electricity for a small household. But you could also see mini grids and so on. So we we really try to understand what the drivers are in the sectors and came to the conclusion that it's actually a, a fantastic sector to be um, invested in at the moment because in the past years, several things happened um, that make it very attractive. So the prices for, for batteries and solar panels, for instance, came down tremendously, which made the product very affordable for the people on the ground in East Africa. But also the way you can distribute the products changed a lot because of the introduction of, of mobile money. So how it works is that the people buy a solar home system, for instance, um, that costs, let's say, some depending on the size and so on, something between $200 and $500. And that is something that people could maybe not afford on one day. So what they do is they make a down payment on the first day of, let's say, $30. And then the rest they pay off um, through daily or weekly installments through their phone. So yeah, these this is sort of the level uh, we need to to look at when we try to understand if we want to invest in a fund manager. Yeah, it's such an exciting space to work at, like such a growing growing market, growing population, uh, and indeed the the mobile payments opportunities I just speak about. It's really exciting to work at. Um, on the other other hand, also really challenging. Could you tell us a bit more about the unique challenges that you see within the impact investing space? The problem is it's not very clear what impact investing is. Different people have different opinions about it. And some people think, you know, one thing is impactful and others don't. So, for instance, you could say in a country where there are not enough schools to educate the people, it would be a, you know, a very impactful investment to invest in private schools to increase the, the educational offering. Um, but at the same time, you could also say, no, actually, you don't want schools to be private. Do you think it's more, you know, if we want to provide equal access to education, um, schools should be public? Um, so it's not very clear if it's a, you know, is, is it an impactful investment to invest in private schools or not? So at one point it always becomes very political if you if you feel um, you know what what you define as impact and whatnot. And then the second part is which is also a bit linked to this theme is measurement. You can there are great measurement um, approximations on the market to date, um, and and it's it is constantly evolving and um, new. Of solutions are being developed constantly, but still, it always stays an approximation of impact. So, for instance, when you sell solar lanterns, and your thesis is people that have electricity can maybe 
study more at night because they and they can the kids can do their homework in the evenings and that's why you, you'll increase the educational level for the people that bought those solar lanterns. It is very difficult to prove. You know, how will you prove that kids actually study at night once they have the your solar lantern? Um, it might also be that they just charge their phones and then play all night. Um, and you'd need very large randomized controlled trials almost truly prove that you do have impact. Um, which is not within the budget of most investors and, and not in relation to the amount of money that you have invested in a specific company. But still, having said that, they're great solutions. And for instance, Kavizafi uses a fantastic survey method that, again, uses questionnaires using the mobile phone to ask the customers of solar lanterns what they what they do with the solar lantern, how it has improved their life and to what extent they are happy with the product and so on. And they do use that data not only to measure Im or develop an approximation for the impact they have, but also to feed it back into product development and to think about how they can further develop the product um, to, to make it even more useful for people. Absolutely. Continuous development in such a dynamic space probably has really yeah, influenced or has been a trend that you have seen over the last the years that you've been working in Impact, Nina. And I think what I'd be really curious to hear um, from someone who's been involved in the industry for so long, how have you seen impact investing change over your career? So you spoke about how, you know, sometimes it becomes a little bit political or also there are new forms of measurement that that have been developed, you know, every year. Have you seen any any major trends in the types of impact um, investment that have become more popular or the specific tools being used? Yeah, so I'd say there are two things that, that happened in the past years. When when we started Zonans, the impact investing world was still very much about social impact investing. And environmental themes were always there, but they were not so much in focus. And that has obviously changed tremendously. So environmental themes are, became much more important. You can see much more funds now that focus um, on environmental technology and so on. This is definitely one big shift. And the other one is the focus, the increased regulatory focus on environmental topics. So now in the European Union, you have um, SFDR and soon the European Union taxonomy that really defines what sustainable investments are and what not. And this will help a lot to to really standardize and and ensure a certain minimum sort of level of of what can be defined as sustainability and 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 whatnot. And it will also help to make the theme much more mainstream. Because I, in the past, I had the feeling that investors didn't invest in impact opportunities because they were afraid of greenwashing, that it was really unclear and difficult to understand what funds have impact and, and what fund is sustainable. The assessment was just very difficult. So, so some investors just didn't do anything at all. And, and the new regulation will certainly help at that end. Indeed, from the, from the investor side and LP side, you see more and more investors coming up that want to invest in impact. And also, as you mentioned, with a lot of governments having having these goals based on sustainability, on sustainable development goals. Um, is that also something that you have seen change dramatically, the landscape of, of investors, for example, more institutional investors that are coming up? Yes, I'd say there are more 
so from the, from the product side, there are more large asset managers entering the market. And also the variety of strategies that you see in the market is constantly increasing. Um, but also from the investor side, I have the feeling that when you, so when you at least count the number of conferences for investors on sustainability and the amount of web trainings you have on ESG and so on, the interest is at least there. I think some investors are still in the learning phase and trying to get an overview of what they can do as investors, which is initially not always very clear <laughs> because there are just so many different uh, investment opportunities. But I'd expect that in the coming years, um, the amount of capital that is committed into sustainable fund products will also increase. Absolutely. And Perhaps, Nina, the, the move, I guess, from Sonans to Golding is a great example of this. Um, maybe you could tell us more about, about your recent move and, and what Golding is hoping to achieve. Yes. So at Sonans, we've been one of the pioneers in the space for many years. And, but we were still a boutique player. We had our first fund and had great investors that were backing us. And, and fund one is, is performing well. But then at one point, we were at a stage that we saw that really large asset managers are now also launching products that are comparable to what we did. And we were a bit afraid that we just don't have sort of the, the manpower to compete with those large asset managers. And then uh, last fall, Jeremy Golding called us and we we knew him for quite some time already. Um, I think the first time was in, in 2010 or 11 that we met. And we've been in contact um, with him in particular since we launched Sonans because he, Golding, is a large fund of funds manager in Munich. And as a sort of senior player, he was very helpful in giving us advice about how to run a fund of funds <laughs> um, over the years. So we knew, we knew him for some time. We knew that he was interested in impact. And then we were really, when he called us last fall and asked us if we would like to join his firm to help him start an, an impact pillar, it just made a lot of sense they have this huge organization um, with the really blue chip institutional processes and, and they have a department, legal department, the reporting department, the finance department, <laughs> um, an investor relation department and so on. So it was just a very good opportunity that now enables us to, to focus on what we can do best, the investments and, and get just a lot of support from the organization to set up the rest as well. Yeah, that is such a great step and, and also in a broader perspective, a, a good step uh, forward for impact investing. So we are also wondering, what do you see as your kind of goals or dreams for the future uh, and also for the future of impact? Yeah, so I think when you're in the space of impact investing, you, you never reach your goals. It's always a journey. Obviously, we have now the short-term goal of raising this first fund and building a great portfolio of of target funds and, and underlying impactful companies. But after that, I'm sure you know once we we might be able to solve some some problems or at least contribute to the solution of of some social environmental problem. But once they are solved, I'm I'm sure new problems will come up that need new investment. So, and this is also what I like a lot about the impact investing space that you can constantly 
think about new themes that you should be investing in and that you should add to your strategy. And there's just a lot of room to grow and to be creative. And for the impact space as a whole, it's, um, I, I think I like a lot how it has developed in the past years. Um, when we started, nobody really knew what impact investing is and we had to explain it so many times. And by now, when you, when you use that word, everybody at least has a broad idea of what it could mean. And, um, this is already a fantastic development. Sure. And, and Nina, uh, you speak about, you know, I love the way you spoke about how there are problems that can be solved and, and once they're solved, you can move on to the next one. And I think that gives us a lot of hope because the problems, I guess, you're looking to solve in your space are, you know, of, of climate change or environmental issues or for, for the greater good. So that's, that's really encouraging to hear. And I wonder, because you're, you're focusing on these themes that are so broad and, and often quite remote to, to where you sit, um, in Germany, you know, every day when, when you're at your desk working, what really excites you in that? Do you spend a lot of time thinking about, about these new themes? Is it, is it really operational? But yeah, what gets you out of bed every morning to, to work on problems on the other side of the world from Germany? Yeah. So within the team, we constantly speak about challenges that we see and it happens often that you know somebody uh, has read you know an article in a newsletter again over the weekend and then and then we have lunch on monday and then we speak about you know have you for instance last weekend i i read this article about um the problem of chemical pesticides in um in emerging markets that big farms use but also many smallholder um, farmers use chemical pesticides and don't really know how to use it. And I think it was a study from, um, that uses data from the WHO that shows that there are really thousands of smallholder farmers that die from chemical pesticides every year. And this was, I knew that chemical pesticides were, you know, not, not a good idea, but I wasn't aware about this sort of scale of the problem. Yeah. So this is just an example of we are constantly debating. Um, you know, new challenges that need solutions. Yeah, there are always new challenges and always new problems that, that can be solved. And yeah, thank you very much for this, Nina. That was all very, very insightful. Now we're moving into the next part of the interview, which is the fire round. Basically, we will ask you a couple of really short questions and would like you to answer them, also to get to know you better on a bit more personal level. So if you're ready, then we'll go ahead. Mm-hmm. What is your morning coffee order? Coffee first. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And what type of coffee? Black or with milk? A, a cappuccino. It's a. Uh, it's yeah. Perfect. I like a good cappuccino in the morning. Yeah, me too. Me too, Nina. <laughs> um, and my question for you is: If you could solve one problem in the world, what would it be? Definitely climate change. Nice. And could you name three traits that make a successful LP in your eyes? So I love LPs that are really interested in, in the investment themes. I love it when, when they call and have a specific question about one of the investments. This is probably the most important one. In general, I think LP engagement is something I like a lot, even if the questions are sometimes critical. Yeah, those were two traits, but I hope that's okay. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. And Nina, other than, you know, articles about chemical pesticides, are you reading any books at the moment? What are you currently reading? Yes. So at the moment, I'm, I'm still reading this, um, book from Bill Gates about technologies that he believes that we still need to solve climate change. 
It's very, um, I can recommend it. He's obviously a, a tech guy and his solution to climate change is very technical. Uh, it's not, it doesn't have a strong focus on, on sort of societal themes, but, but the, the tech solutions and the way he structures is it, it's just very helpful and I can recommend it. Although you, you, you can debate his approach to, nuclear energy yeah that's a subject where there's a lot of debate on i'm sure but thanks for that i'll i'll definitely look it up all right nina so now on i guess to the second part of the fire round um with even shorter answers we'd just like to ask you um what your immediate reaction is when we ask if the following topics to you are underrated or overrated so the first one is twitter i don't have an account <laughs> Perfect. That's a great. And what about uh, self-help books? I've never read one. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Have you eaten an avocado before? Yes. Okay. So are they overrated or underrated? They are overrated. We probably shouldn't eat as much of avocados because the way they, they are sort of cultivated sometimes is very difficult due to water too use. Too much yeah. water. That's the one. Okay. Uh, what about Oktoberfest? It cannot be underrated. <laughs> uh, and cryptocurrency? Interesting. Um, I'd say, so for me, it's overrated. I, I like that currencies are, are regulated by states. Sure. And and the Netflix documentary Seaspiracy, if you're familiar with it. Underrated? It opened my eyes that probably there's not such thing as sustainable fish. Yeah. And lastly, uh, self-driving cars. Underrated, although it really depends on how we will use this new technology. It can be a tremendous step towards less, fewer cars on the street, but it can also be the total opposite. Absolutely. Alrighty, Nina, that was it for today. Thank you so much for such an engaging discussion um, that was really full of examples. And I think for, for us and for our listeners, we'll really bring to life um, such a broad and important topic. So thanks so much for your time today. Thanks, Nina. I thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.